today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. He lays out for them the reality and the truth of the message of the Word of God, all that the prophets had spoken before, and who Jesus Christ is. And God uses that message on that day and the power of His Holy Spirit to change 3,000 lives for all of eternity. Beloved, we're not gonna do that with a placard or a sign saying, repent, turn, or burn, hell is on its way. The way we see change in people's lives is by presenting to them the truth and the hope that's found in the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to work and move in lives. It's really hard to admit you're wrong, isn't it? Especially to a God who is holy and perfect. However, God is the one who most deserves and cares about your admission of sin and desire to change. And yelling of damnation to come to believers isn't the way to help them reach that point of repentance. As Pastor David will explain today, Bringing others to repentance is an act of the Holy Spirit through you sharing the hope and forgiveness and love available because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he begins his message, Repent and Be Baptized. I think we've all seen them at one time or another. The big sign, somebody standing out on the corner, repent, turn or burn, you know, uh, the end is near. And, and I, I sometimes look at those kinds of things and I think, okay, I, I, I know where you're coming from, but can you tell me how many converts you've, you've won with that, that methodology? How many people's lives have you really changed in that kind of a, a process? We're going to be talking today about repenting. Problem is, the church doesn't talk about repenting very much. Why? Because sometimes it kind of makes us uncomfortable, amen? To say that I need to repent, that means that I have to admit that uh, I've been doing wrong and I don't want to admit that I'm doing wrong. But yet, what we're going to look at today is the way that Peter speaks to a crowd of literally thousands of men on the day of Pentecost, and he lays out for them the reality and the truth of the message of the word of God, all that the prophets had spoken before, and who Jesus Christ is. And God uses that message on that day and the power of his Holy Spirit to change 3,000 lives for all of eternity. Beloved, we're not going to do that with a placard or a sign saying, repent, turn, or burn, hell is on its way. The way we see change in people's lives is by presenting to them the truth and the hope that's found in the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to work and move in lives. 
On the day of Pentecost, there was an abundance of miracles that took place. We're in Acts chapter 2, if you've not found that place yet. We're in Acts chapter 2. And on that day, the abundance of the miracles that took place, yes, we have the, the, the mighty sound of the rushing wind coming in. We saw and read about the Holy Spirit coming down and literally uh, tongues of fire sitting on each one that were in that house, 120 of them all gathered there together. And at that coming of the Holy Spirit, we see these then standing up and beginning to praise and give glory to God for all of his mighty wonders. And they're speaking in foreign tongues. They're speaking in languages that they didn't learn. And suddenly this multitude of individuals outside on the streets are drawn to this and says, this is amazing. They're speaking in my native tongue. And they're drawn to that. And then that's why Peter has then the opportunity to share that message. But that's just one more of the miracles that were done. The the very boldness of, of Peter standing up before those thousands of individuals and declaring what he said and in the manner and way in which he said it, that, that, that was a miracle within itself. Because if you look back probably, just, well, we know just a, a few weeks prior to that, Peter was scared to death to even admit that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. A little milkmaid, in essence, comes up and well, aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, not me. And he goes out cursing and swearing and, again, denying Christ. But now here he stands up boldly. Another miracle of God taking place. And let's not forget the miracle of 120 all gathered in one place for 10 days praying And the miracle that you can get 120 people all in one place, all in one accord, all with one one heart and with one mind. I mean, the saying is you get two people together, you'll have at least three attitudes and then three opinions. So uh, here we have 120 that were gathered seeking the Lord for those days and the spirit of God came down upon them. But the greatest of all miracles that took place that day, the greatest of all miracles were those 3,000 souls that day that was added to them. 3,000 souls that now their, their eternity is sealed because of their relationship of acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, once these men had gathered in Jerusalem on that morning and, and they heard the message of Peter, these men were, were convicted of their own guilt. And, and it wasn't because Peter came and pointed out, now, yeah, he definitely says, he speaks the issues here, but it is the Spirit of God that brings about real and true conviction. Man can bring guilt on you, but it's the Spirit of God that really brings conviction that brings about a change in lives. Look here in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, looking in chapter 2, down in verse 37, it says, now when they, that's the, the, the multitude of the men that were around, when they heard this, Peter's message, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You, you, you've presented all this stuff to us. We're cut to the heart. What do we do about this? And then in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or for the payment of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off 
as many as the Lord our God will call. This is a powerful promise that Peter is making here. It's in the midst of the brokenness of our lives. That's when God's mercy actually becomes active within our life. If we're not broken for our sin, we don't experience his mercy. His mercy comes on us when we come to that point of brokenness and confession. And it's in the repentance from our sin that actually God's forgiveness covers our sin. If we walk without repentance, then there's no forgiveness in that sin. We have to be careful. We need to, again, understand there's so much to look at here in Peter's declaration. I don't want to miss the primary intent, the primary point of what Peter is saying is you need to repent. You need to repent. Salvation does not come unless there is a process of repentance that comes into our lives. I can't just say, well, you know what? I was walking this way. That's getting me in all kinds of trouble. I'm not finding happiness. I'm not finding fulfillment. I think I'll walk this way and try Christianity in my life. Well, that is a change of direction, but that's not true repentance. Peter was speaking to men who were, they were going the wrong way. They were believing the wrong thing. They were depending upon a salvation that they could earn. These were Jewish men, man, I can earn this thing. I can do all the right stuff. And finally, at the end of the day, and this same theology exists today, that if at the end of my life, I take all of my good on this scale and all of my bad on this scale, and if my good outweighs my bad, then God owes me eternity in his presence. Number one, God owes you nothing. And number two, you can never do enough good. You can never do enough good. These men were depending upon their ability to maintain good works while they lived under the law. These were proud men. They were were Jewish men. Jewish men from 15 different nations or countries that had come there to celebrate at the Feast of Pentecost. They had this solid commitment to the necessity of fulfilling the law. They knew that they had to fulfill the law. But right now, today, at the end of Peter's message, their world is just about to be turned inside out and right side up. Because of the move of the Holy Spirit on that day, and during the process of Peter's message, It says that they were cut to the heart. That's a work of the Spirit of God that comes in. Whether it be through the preaching of the gospel, through the testimony of somebody's life, whatever it might be, it's when the Holy Spirit again begins working in our life that we are literally cut to the heart. It's not just a a, a mind thing that says, well, yeah, that makes sense. No, it's much more than logic. It is a spiritual cutting, an opening up of the heart. And that's what the Holy Spirit did. And the evidence of that was in the question that they then asked when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? If I feel that I'm still self-sufficient, if I feel that what I'm doing is still the right way, doing the law is still the right thing, I'm not going to ask you what I need to do. I know what I need to do. But now they realize that what they had been doing isn't isn't working. It's, It's not good. It's not going to be the completeness of what God wants in their life. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter then used that opportunity to direct them of how to be able to overcome that spiritual deficit that was in their life, to be able to receive that true forgiveness, that true eternal life that only God offers 
through, again, his gift of grace, not, not anything that we could ever earn. You see, it's not enough simply to be moved by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not even enough to seek the answer to the problem. Man, through years of ministry and even my years in life, you know, just as a believer, I've seen the Spirit of God move in my life and not change because of it. I've seen the Spirit of God come and convict me in areas in my life, and I just try to get over it. And beloved, we see that all too often. The Spirit of God comes and moves, again, through the preaching of the Word, through the testimony of another believer, or just, man, in the process of our day, suddenly the Spirit of God comes and grabs hold of us. We're given an option at that point in time. We can either close our spiritual ears, our spiritual eyes to the move of the Spirit and try to continue on in the flesh, or we can stop and say, what do I need to do, Lord? And these guys are at that place. More than being simply moved by the Spirit of God, more than simply asking the question, they've come to a point in their life that they are now responding to the move of the Spirit, and they're going to give a response then that's going to lead them to salvation. And Peter's answer to their dilemma was, first of all, this, the, that, that spiritual response that's necessary to be able for anyone to receive, again, the gift of eternal life within their lives. And that's to repent. That's to repent. God says, man, we, we have to die daily. We have to turn from our sin and come to him. And the meaning of that word is, is actually very simple. Change your outlook. Have a, a, a change of heart. But in the spiritual sense, it, it actually goes much, much deeper than that. It's not just simply a, a rhetorical answer. Say, oh, okay, yeah, there, you're right. Yeah, I'm doing wrong and doing it again. No. There needs to be a reality of, of both that internal change and an external action. Because, beloved, the Scripture gives us very clearly that if there's not an external action, there's not been any internal change. Now, the trick on this comes is then there's external movements that have the pretense or the semblance of an internal change, but it's not really change. That's why the inside needs to change first. Because otherwise, we just go through the motions all of our lives. You see, when people come to this fellowship, when people hear the word, I don't, I don't want to come and say, hey man, you need to stop smoking, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop chewing, you need to stop doing bad, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that, you need to stop cheating on your wife, you need to stop doing that. No. You need to come to Jesus. You need to repent of your sin, yes. But that repentance begins with a change of the inner man to recognize the need for the change and then commit and submit to him. And then God begins that work of change within our lives. Biblical repentance. It's repentance that leads to salvation and it deals, yeah, with that reversal of the direction of our lives. And an individual can't say, well, I repent and just continue on to travel in the same direction. That's not true repentance. To say that I repent and to continue to wallow in, in the same mud is not true repentance. And again, it's the heart that changes, 
the mind, and in the heart and the mind being changed, the actions change. It works from the inside out. Don't receive this incorrectly, please. This is not a salvation by works, but this is a salvation that changes the individual's life. The salvation comes in, and then the life changes because of that. And you you see, even in the teachings of the apostles, all through the book of Acts, and then when we get into the letters, man, repentance is the thing that they continue to teach. Continue to teach the need for repentance. But you know the problem is? There's too many pastors, too many preachers today that never touch the subject of repentance. I wouldn't want to offend anybody. Well, you're not going to offend them all the way to hell. Because if you just say, hey, if you just live a good life, do good to your neighbor, oh, don't forget to give more to the church, uh, and, and, and on and on it goes, lives aren't changed, and eternity swallows them whole into the very pits of hell because they've never come to a point of, number one, recognizing their sin, recognizing that the only way that that sin can be dealt with is through repentance and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter knew the background of these guys in in a very general sense. He knew their lifestyle in a very general sense. They were were Jewish men. And at that point in time in in history, Jewish men, it was pretty much the same, man. You kept the word, the the law. You kept the Torah. You kept the Mishnah. You kept all the rituals and all the ceremonies. They knew the direction that they needed to go in in order to gain salvation according to what they had been taught. Peter's message to him, in essence, was this. Guys, it's not just that you're traveling the wrong way. You're on the wrong road. You are totally on the wrong road. He told them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now, this is where we get into a a little area that's actually kind of problematic in in some lives. The ways that some people look at this particular passage. Again, unfortunately, I believe that there's some major issues. And, And it all deals with this whole area of baptism. The first issue is the format of of baptism. And I'm not talking about whether you immerse or whether you sprinkle, although I think that biblically full immersion is actually a picture because, again, uh, the picture that we see all through the Scriptures is, is that when they are baptized, they go under the water. It is a picture of death. They are dying. And then they rise to walk in that newness of life, as, as Paul tells us. But the problem is, is you, you, I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've never gone to a funeral where somebody's dead and all they do is sprinkle a little dirt on them and walk on. No, they're under the ground. They're in the ground all the way. They are buried. And uh, that, that picture of burial is what baptism is about. But that's not the problem. That's not the issue that I'm looking at today. The issue that I'm looking at today is because he, uh, here where Peter talks, and in a couple of other places in the New Testament, we do read of being baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, some have uh, unfortunately looked at that, and they've interp- or interpreted that, that phrase that that's the only correct way to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And in essence, it becomes a ritualistic declaration. You've got to say the right words, otherwise it doesn't work out. If you don't say the right words, then your baptism doesn't count. 
I dare say, I think that they've suddenly made more about the words being used than the actual issue of the baptism. They feel, unfortunately, they feel that the, the methodology, the, the, the very verbiage has to be correct in order for the effect of the baptism to be complete. They believe this actually in spite of the fact that the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 28 told his disciples, hey, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name only. No, that's not what it says. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I really think the problem comes in, in what could be labeled as a contextual reality. They're not seeing really what's going on in these passages. They're missing it. What they're missing here is this whole issue as Peter is talking to, when we look at this whole issue, what kind of people is it that Peter is talking to? We've already said it once or twice. What kind of people? Jewish people. Jewish people. And you know what? Jewish people are baptized continually. They have all kinds of baptisms. You go over to Israel and all over the place, there are mitzvahs there. They walk into baptismal pools and all kinds of times and all kinds of reasons they have these baptisms. And Peter knows that, that they've been baptized all through their lives for multiple issues, a, a, a form or a sign of spiritual cleansing. And we look at that and their baptisms are a little bit different than what we do. They don't require somebody on the side helping them. Actually, they walk, walk through the mitzvahs and they, they just literally walk in, lower themselves into the baptismal waters. And it is a sign for them, it is a declaration that God has washed me clean. God has cleansed me. There's nothing supernatural, there's nothing magical or mystical about any of the baptismal waters. It's an external sign, it's a declaration of what God has done in their life. And so Peter knows these guys have been baptized multiple times. We see the Jews here now needing to understand that this baptism now, this is different than anything that you've ever done before. They needed to be now baptized in, or with a better understanding, baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And that wasn't just some ritualistic verbiage. No, it was symbolic of their recognition now that Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah. Oh, I've been baptized with the understanding of God the Father and His Spirit working within my life multiple times as a Jew. But now I need to be baptized now as Jesus Christ as my Lord. I'm now being baptized in the name of Jesus. And I believe, honestly, that's why Peter uh, said what he did. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, let's, let's get to us who are non-Jews, to the Gentiles, they needed to understand that their baptism was, was symbolic of a newfound faith with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They had been seeking after these pagan gods all of their lives. They did not know the God of Abraham, the, the Jewish God, the one true God, God Almighty, Jehovah. They did not know him or the power of his spirit. As a matter of fact, if we go back to that passage 
in Matthew 28 where Jesus is directing his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples, what? Of all nations. We're so glad you could be with us today as we opened God's Word and dove into the goodness and truth the Bible contains. If you've missed any part of today's message in Acts, we encourage you to refer to our website, calvarycg.org. Once there, you can browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of the Open Word. We'd love to hear from you about how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If you prefer accessing information through social media, visit our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word. Just go to theopenword.com. You'll be directed right to our page. You'll be able to explore more of Pastor David's audio there as well. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into the Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again. Or simply let your Bible fall open. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word. Make us more.